So I just, you know, if you've never walked in the shoes of anybody, well, you really wouldn't know. Well, I've never been a child molester, but I know that that's wrong. So that's a bad argument, so, right? Yeah, that was, yeah, that's, that's to compare. So you're comparing us to child no, molesters. No, I'm saying your argument is bad. Just because you've never been a jihadist doesn't mean you can't condemn terrorists. Okay. Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be remembering the life and times of Pastor Bob Enyer, pastor of Denver Bible Church. A larger-than-life figure. He's a major influence in open theism, putting out open theist uh, material, Bible studies and lectures, and going on debating individuals such as Samuel Lamerson and James White on the topic. In addition to this, he's been a political mover and shaker for the past 30 years in national politics, being involved in everything from the latest uh, tyrannical mass mandates all the way back to the O.J. Simpson trials and uh, destroying O.J. Simpson's memorabilia in protest. I do remember I was like in uh, sixth grade or something like that and I was watching The Daily Show and Jon Stewart pops up and he's like, oh, the Pastor Enyard, he's destroying all this memorabilia. And I was like, I know that guy. I know that guy. I'm in South Dakota at the time. And I'm seeing clips of my friend from Denver. Well, my dad's friend. Just one day after the OJ auction, Bob Enyart, a Christian talk show host who bought $16,000 worth of the murderer's tchotchkes, burned them in front of a crowd of angry pro-murderers on the steps of the Los Angeles Criminal Court building to protest OJ's acquittal. Take that bad jersey. There's one piece of athletic apparel that will never again subvert the American criminal justice system. This man claims that destroying this trophy must mean he loves it very much. Enyart's extremely vocal detractors included these two men who showed up to scream out in support of O.J. but had to leave early to attend the third annual John Bonet Deserved What She Got rally. But what I remember about Bob Enyart personally is his unending love for humanity, his eternal optimism, his general pleasantness, and just the way he'd interact with people and treat people as human beings with kindness and thoughtfulness and uh, understanding. So I can only talk about Bob Enyart to the extent that uh, I knew him. I kind of grew up a little bit in Denver. My dad was friends with Bob Enyart, so maybe I went to his house, maybe... I only remember one time ever going to his house, and I remember him having a big trampoline that I always wanted to go jump on or whatnot, and I always wanted to go back to the house to go jump on that trampoline because my parents, they didn't have a trampoline. We just had to climb trees and fall out and sometimes get our arms broken, things like that. But uh, So we were passingly familiar with Bob Enyart. My dad actually performed his, his wedding, performed Enyart's wedding to Cheryl, and uh, my dad's pastoral career didn't go very far, but one wedding and, and one funeral, and that's about it. But they were friends. They had met uh, through Bob Hill. And Bob Hill was the pastor of Derby Bible Church. And from Derby Bible Church, several other churches were spawned. There was Grace Family Fellowship under Eddie Cook, in which my family was a part of kind of growing up when I was in Denver, and then uh, Bob Enyard's church was a different church. So we had passing familiarity. I've interacted with him uh, several times in my youth, but then we moved to South Dakota, and that's where I did see that Daily Show clip. I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> Flag flagging my memory. I, I, I am familiar with who that is. 
fast forward now i'm in college and uh, i guess my next interaction with bob enyart is driving down one summer with my family and i was able to at his church present my honors thesis on the hellenization of christianity to his congregation talk about my research and what what i have been studying and uh, the Hellenization, the Platonization of Christianity. And uh, I basically, I ran the, the Sunday school and all of uh, what, 18, 19, 20 years old running this uh, Bible study on my thesis, which was a good experience. It was interesting to interact with a lot of those individuals at Bob Inyard's church. And a lot of them uh, I had met previously from Theology Online. Theology Online was this message board where like open theists would congregate and uh, discuss ideas and debate different topics. So I was semi-active on that platform, not, not entirely active. I'm just a college student doing college full-time and, uh, and interacting on these boards. But uh, So I had a passing familiarity with some of the people at the church already, meeting them in real life. Probably the next interaction I had with Bob Enyart was maybe a year later, and uh, Bob Enyart was in the midst of the Samuel Lamerson debate. And so he's, he's drawing up responses. This is a formal debate on theolo theology online. If you Google Bob Enyart and Samuel Lamerson, it'll take you right to that debate. It's a back and forth, basically on open theism versus Calvinism. And so during one of those response periods, that's when I came and visited. And we stopped by and we met up with Bob Enyart and we were at a coffee shop going through and editing and commenting on his next posting, what his next posting was going to be. So I sat down with my, my dad and my brother and him, and we, we talked through strategy and points and how to make arguments. And one thing I remember is when he started, Bob Inyart made some sort of point about the spiritual. And I pointed out that uh, in the Bible, spirits have bodies. <laughs> Bob Inyart like kind of smiled. He's like, well, you should, you should uh, really... Uh, research that and uh, let me know more about that. And then maybe I could go full heretic. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny. So um, that's what I remember. He, he's always happy, always making jokes, making light, encouraging others. He, he did a lot of encouragement to others. And he just knew how to interact with people. He was very much a people person, very intuitive, very much... Uh, being able to feed off of the energy that the people communicating with him would give off and he would be able to match that. I think that made him a very effective communicator. So fast forward, now we're at about 2006 and my next interaction with him is uh, he was having a tour of Greece, a biblical tour of Greece and uh, people would pay and they'd come and would, you'd drive around to all the ancient ruins and you had a tour guide who would go through the various various sites and tell you things about the Bible and how it lines up to archaeology. And there's a three-day cruise involved in which you went to islands like Mykonos and, and Patmos. Uh, fantastic. My dad actually opted for, for paying for me to go. So that's kind of my the one thing he paid since I was paying my own, I don't know, college or whatever. I think he He's like, I got to send my son on this trip. And it was a fantastic time. We had a lot of great times. This is one of the times where I actually slept in the Chicago airport. I've slept in the Chicago airport 
quite a few times. But on the way out there, there were like hurricanes or something that, that always tends to be the case in Chicago and all the planes get canceled. Then you have to sleep in like a terminal, sometimes on the floor or sometimes like hunched over those seats and they put those little armrests there to make it the most uncomfortable sleeping experience ever because they don't want people sleeping on these benches. But that's what I did. I slept in the Chicago airport and then hopped on the quickest plane in order to get to that location. So I'm going to pull up my picture album from our tour of Greece and we'll just kind of talk through the tour. This is May 2006. I fly into Kavala and that, that was an interesting flight. Uh, we get in pretty late and it's myself and uh, I think it was actually Bob's brother that was late as well. So there was just there are two of us that flew in late and uh we get in late and it's dark and it, it's a crazy ride from the airport like I, it was actually a pretty uh, harrowing experience i was in this taxi and uh, he decides to pass the guy in front of him and we're on a two-lane road and all of a sudden there's an oncoming car in the opposite direction and so what they do in greece is the car he's passing kind of pulls to his right the, the passing car goes into the middle of the median and the car oncoming went to their far right and so all three cars passed at the same moment on a two-lane road i'm sitting there like thinking i'm gonna die here this traffic it's like ah i'm gonna die but uh, we get in pretty late i jump in the hotel have feverish nightmares and wake up and i have no idea where i am it's one of those times where you wake up and you you start evaluating your surrounding circumstances and you're like i have no idea where i am how i got here what's going on and then it all starts to come to you very slowly it's like, okay, I get, I'm, I'm in Greece. I'll go downstairs. I'll go meet individuals. And uh, uh, maybe I got some pictures. And so I get downstairs and I start meeting individuals. And there's this lady all the way to the left here. And, and uh, it looks like uh, Josh Craddock when he was a little kid. And then there's this guy here who I thought this guy and this girl were like married, but they turned out to be like teenagers. And then up here is brian enyart which is bob enyart's nephew and so i kind of bonded and hung out with him the entire time i was in greece he came with us and so since we came in late to the rep to the party we were kind of the people who arrived a lot later than everyone else uh, bob enyart and his brother brian enyart senior they drove us to philippi which was that dig in which which i showed you a picture of at first so here's some pictures of those ruins. The ruins are being reconstructed where you see the very light concrete. Those are reconstruction materials and the dark is original because a lot of times you can find original pieces, but you have to fit them together with new pieces in order to make them fit properly. And so you see a marble column and there's patches out. The patches that are the darker material is the original mosaics or original stonework. And the light marble is the new. So of course, Philippi was where Lydia was. And there's an Orthodox church that we visited that's dedicated to Lydia. And the interesting thing was that um, Brian Enyart Sr., he was big into woodworking. And so he struck up a conversation with our taxi driver who had driven us out there all about the woodworking and the detailed structure of the door on Lydia's temple. And uh, the taxi driver just loved us so much because we were interested in, in theology. This, this is not, this is not, he wasn't used to this. He's used to tourists being like, oh, just touristy things, taking picture pictures and not actually talking about 
the biblical story behind what's going on and what's involved. And because he was so religious and he loved us so much, he stopped by a local cherry grove and bought us a bunch of local cherries uh, just so that we could uh, enjoy that that part of our Greek experience. So here's Bob Inyard uh, in Philippi. He's pointing around. There is a prison where they claim that Paul was taken. I do got uh, pictures of, but it's probably more likely a well or a cistern. You do see some ancient churches, churches that were established later in that time. And the church, uh, interestingly enough, the format of the church, the layout of the church, did very much match Greek temples, how the Greek temples were set up. So Christianity is more of like a cultural appropriating religion. Here's a picture of that well or cistern, which they were claiming that Paul, that was the cell that Paul was held in, which is unlikely. And then I have a few shots of Lydia's temple, Orthodox temple, and our taxicab driver who who showed us around the place and talked to us about all these these things. It was a pretty good experience. That was Philippi. That was our first day. So Bob Inert was there on the tour, and he took us through as the tour guide, repeating a lot of the things that the tour guide had given the main audience before. Again, I was late to the party. I didn't fly in at time because of those canceled planes. From there, we went to Thessaloniki, and I got another picture of the young Josh Craddock, who's now an important lawyer in Washington, doing doing good good work out there. So now I'm gonna fast forward to a video of our tour guide pointing out one of the city gates, one which Paul more likely than not passed through on his way to Thessaloniki. I'm gonna go ahead and play. So you see it's very close to the northeastern corner, and is the place from where somebody coming from east following the, uh, the Via Ignatia entered the city. Therefore, Apostle Paul entered the city using these gates. And this is the reason why the Salonians call uh, this gate the Great Gate. Okay. So we won't actually go through the entire trip but uh, we did see amazing sights. So we went and saw monasteries. We went and saw Berea. We saw the Oracle at Delphi. We saw Athens. And, and then we went on the cruise and saw Mykonos and Rhodes and Patmos. Oh, the Rhodes is actually pretty amazing. We were on the cruise and here, here's my, my cruise story. And uh, we had this fairly attractive lady that who is our stewardess. And let's see if I can't pull up a picture. And Brian Enyart Jr. and I, we uh, decided to go rent mopeds and drive around the island of Rhodes that day. And so uh, our hostess came and said, hey, what are you guys doing today? And uh, I said, well, we're going to be driving around the island on the mopeds. I said, do you want to come with? And she's like, well, you know, technically I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to actually hang out with the passengers, but I hate my job. So, okay. And so we, we get to the island, Brian and I, we're going to meet up lady, later with this lady. And uh, Brian and here's like, ah, I want to hang out with my dad today. So you go do that yourself with her. So it's just me and her. I meet up with her and uh, I have the moped. It's my first time ever riding a moped. And uh, she hops on back and I just spend the entire day just driving around with her. And she's from like Romania and she's done modeling. So I say that I, I rode around the island of Rhodes with this Romanian model all day. And uh, yes, there were some close incidences where maybe I was going to like crash or whatnot, but uh, I managed not to crash. At the end of the entire excursion, I tell her, it's like, you know, 
I've actually never ridden a moped before. And she said, oh, she, her eyes get wide. And she's like, if I knew that, I wouldn't have come with you. And I said, yeah, that's why I didn't tell you. <laughs> ah, so I get back to Bob Enyart and the gang. And it turns out that that girl and that guy who are teenagers, they were hanging out with each other all day. And Bob Enyart was taking notice of this. And he said, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing this. It might be inappropriate for you individuals. And then the guy, he tries to call me out and he says, hey, Chris Fisher, uh, he drove around roads for the whole day with that uh, stewardess. And Bob Inyart looks at me and he's like, good job, Chris. And then he turns back to them and he starts criticizing them some more. Oh, it's so fantastic. That was one thing that I do remember about Bob Inyart is uh, he did love life very much. I remember pulling out my laptop and I had this background screen of like, this cartoonish aliens and cows and stuff like that. And he looked at it. He said, wow, that's amazingly neat. You know, uh, he's like all the people who come up with this stuff are amazingly innovative. Bob Enyart had a true love of people, of humanity. That was very admirable. So we actually got to Ephesus on this, this trip. This is in Turkey. And uh, we saw the library of Ephesus. And uh, it, Ephesus is an interesting city because the coastline shifted. It was a coastline city where ships would be able to pull in and drop off goods. But since the coastline shifted outwards, um, the city was basically abandoned. So you have this major metropolitan city. And it's not like Athens where, where it's basically a tell where there's, there's uh, ruins upon ruins upon ruins with dirt on it. And then you have the city on top because... It's a very ancient city that just keeps building on top of itself. Uh, Ephesus was different because the city shifted and was abandoned. It's basically we're reconstructing maybe a 7th century city. And so Library of Ephesus is an amazing find, amazing, amazing archaeological dig. And the whole city of Ephesus is, it, it's its almost sur surreal to walk through. I, I remember one concrete structure. It's like, oh, the prostitutes would carve their little footprints into the concrete, into the stones, in order to, to tell travelers where to go to get the prostitutes. So we'd go, we'd go see these ruins every day, and every night we'd sit down and we'd talk together. We'd eat meals and, and talk about theology and, and uh, our life events and and just get to know one another. Well, uh, you're going to be arrested. Then they say, okay, so don't go. Right? That's their, their understanding of prophecy, is that when there's a prophecy, it doesn't mean it's inevitable. Prophecies are given primarily so that they will not be fulfilled. God so Bob Enyart did love telling stories, and he'd tell me all about uh, these various times in his his life in which uh, he had some experiences. Like, for example, he, a story that I might have mentioned before on the program is when they had a Planned Parenthood spy try to try to uh, sleuth them out, try try to leak information, and so they were able to tell right away that the individual was a Planned Parenthood plant. The, you know, based on their lingo and mannerisms and how they argue and how they think, if you don't think the unbarren baby is a baby, you're, you're not a pro-lifer. And so if you start talking about, oh, the fetus, that's, that's a dead giveaway who you are, that you're not a pro-lifer. And so they figured this out fairly easy. And then uh, so what they did was because she's volunteering for 
Colorado right to life, they, they put her on some very tedious work to get accomplished. And <laughs> what, what was it? It was uh, watching videos and then making indexes of all these different locations. And then they had the Colorado right to life event and they didn't tell her anything about it. And then she started complaining and she's like, why didn't you tell me about it? It's like, well, because you're a plant, you're going to feed that information to Planned Parenthood. And she got all mad and she left. Sure enough, next time they were out at Planned Parenthood, there she was on the opposite sides. So that's one thing about Bob Enyart. One thing I noticed, he has very good intuitive sense of uh, when he's interacting with people, what those people's goals and motivations are. One thing that I need to keep in mind, and very, very young me, would think that people were genuine and honest and cared about principles and cared about arguments, but that's not the case. People straight up lie to your face. Like I remember one time I was manning a pro-life table at the University of South Dakota. I had the pictures of aborted babies out there showing everyone what they supported. And the girl sitting next to me for some, I don't know, a stupid cause on her table, uh, she just she said, oh, I had an eptoctic pregnancy. You know, she's arguing that she had that. It's like, oh, and, and then we had to terminate the baby. And, and she was just straight up lying to me. And I didn't know she was lying to me. And I was talking to her as if she was giving me a life event that she experienced that uh, was, might have weighted heavily on her heart. But uh, as soon as I left, she was talking to my friend, Bo, who was manning the table after me. And she's like, yeah, I made all that up. These people are liars. And Bobby Anner had an intuitive sense to uh, feel these people out, understand that they're coming to them, that they're not honest, that they don't have, they're not ingenuous, they're disingenuous, and they're bad actors. And he's able to salute that out. So listening to the open theistic presentation that he gives, his his uh, Predestination and Free Will series, the original one, I think he has two. So I remember back when I was very young, and we still had cassette tapes with the little the two little spinny things and uh, and uh, magnetic tape that you'd pull out and you'd put back in with the pencil. And I had his his uh, series on tape. I actually had to convert it to MP3. So I had a I had a player, a tape player, and then uh, an extension cord, one of those audio cords that which I jacked into my computer. And then he used a program to convert it all to MP3. And that's how I, I, I converted his tapes to MP3 so I could listen to it. Listen to his uh, Open Theistic th series quite a few times. Like countless times I've listened to that. I think it's been very influential on me. Uh, how I think about things and, and uh, how I make arguments. Maybe more so than I realize. So re-listening to that today, I've noticed a few things and arguments that he makes that I have adopted consciously or subconsciously into my own argumentation. But in those tapes, he talks about how he was interacting with with a homosexual lady who had called into the show. And she's like, well, you want to pray with me because I want to become a Christian? And he said, no, I don't think you should become a Christian. And then she got all mad. And uh, she, she didn't hang up. And he said, thank goodness that she didn't hang up because we were able to uh, get her talking. And then she admitted that she didn't actually want to become Christian. She just wanted to actually mock God. She just wanted to be a homosexual lady coming into Bob Inyard's church and, and sitting in the front rows and just making a mockery of Christianity. And he was able to intuitively understand that's where she was coming from. And so Bob Inyard really was a people person, a people reader, and uh, was able to sense sense the auras, auras coming off of people 
in their interactions. And th that's an admirable skill, something that we all should work on. We should not assume people that we are interacting with are ingenuous, honest people. A lot of times they are bad faith actors and should be treated like such if they are. But going back to his uh, series, uh, he is actually pretty generous. So one of the times I went down to visit him, um, he said, oh, which one, which of my tapes do you have? Which ones don't you have? And I said, oh, I have your free will and predestination one. And, uh, uh, but I don't really have too much else. And he just started handing me CDs. He's like, oh, here's these Bible study series. And here's this Bible study series. And so I got a whole bunch of uh, Bob Inier Bible study materials for free, which are very useful. I, I did often listen to them and, and consider his arguments. Uh, one thing about his, his preaching style, his teaching style, because he's an intuitive and because uh, he cared a lot about people and personalities, he related to people through stories. He would, he'd often, in, in making a theological point, he'd tell a story about himself, his, his own life, something that happened somewhere, and he'd, he'd tie all these stories back into these points. And so sometimes you're going to be listening to his, his sermons, and it's just going to be a series of of stories and you're like, uh oh, this is just very, very little biblical material, all stories. Just sometimes, sometimes that's the case, but very much enjoyable, enjoyable. He, he does seem to know how to tell a story in an effective, charismatic manner. One picture that I do need to point out from my travels is this uh, stone slab. This is the famous one that confirmed the existence of Erastus of Corinth, who's mentioned in the Bible as a city treasurer. And uh, critical scholarship for a long time said, oh, this guy never existed. This is just fabricated. And then they found on the stone inscribed in a street, the city treasurer dedicated this, this road. And so it was a real individual that's being referenced here, affirming the veracity of the Bible. So one last story from the trip that uh, it was it was pretty exciting that I probably should tell. It doesn't really involve Bob Adyar, but it's like a good story anyways. We're getting on this cruise, and it's a three-day cruise, and uh, we're in the city of Athens. And we're going to leave all our luggage in the hotel, except for just like a backpack to carry on to, to hold us over for the cruise. And we get in line. We drive all the way to the port, you know, from the hotel. And uh, we get in line and uh, they're like, oh, we're looking for passports. You have to have your passport to board this cruise. And it's like, I left my passport in my luggage. I didn't think I was going to need it. And so, um, you know, what are you going to do? It was me and one other individual uh, who uh, was on the trip. I think his name was like Jason or something like that. Maybe started with a J. Um, but we were like, we're going to have to try to run back to the hotel on the other side of the town before the ship leaves you know, we might not even make it. And so we run out to the parking lot and uh, there's a taxi line. In order for a taxi to pick you up, you have to stand in this long line. And the line was just filled with individuals. So there's like uh, 30 to 50 people waiting in line for a taxi. And it's like, we're at this rate, we're, we're, we're gonna miss the boat. We're gonna miss this cruise. And so I'm like, okay, I, we, we got to figure out a way around this. And so I ran over to a taxi that was kind of sitting idle. He's kind of like on his break. I'm knocking on the window and he rolls it down. He's like, oh, he can't speak English. So I have to go to the next guy. Knock on his window. He rolls the window down. It's like, you speak English? Yeah, I speak English. I'm like, we're, we're in a huge rush. We need to get to this hotel and we need to get our passports and back before the ship leaves. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't pick you up in, in this parking lot. Uh, we're not allowed. And I said, what about there over on the road? And I pointed over outside the parking lot on the road. And he's like, 
yeah, I can pick you up out there. And so me and this other guy, we, we have our backpack and we run over to the road and he gro- drives to the road and we hop in and we start zooming across town at like ridiculous speeds. And uh, we're trying to find this hotel, which we don't, you know, this is before GPSs, so it's not like a GPS thing. And we pull out and in this uh, four lane road, it's like an eight lane road, but there's four lanes going one way and there's four lanes going the other way. So it's like a four lane road going one way. And I look in the rearview mirror and it's like, oh no, that's our hotel behind us. And so he, he pulls over to the side and we're in, in, the, in the side median, you know, and he, he pops into the reverse and he just starts reversing through four lanes of traffic on, on the side. We reverse all the way to the hotel when we run in and, and we get them to unlock our, our bags for us and we pull out our, our stuff. We jump in the hotel and he just flies off again and we're racing through the streets and we're getting all our money out of our billfolds and stuff to pay this guy. And, we, and uh, we gave him a good tip. And we threw the money at him and we jumped out of the taxi. And it, just as we're doing it, the boat's about to take off and they're they're closing the gate. And me and my friend, we ran in there and we gave him the passport. We jumped on the ship and then we went, we sailed off to safety. That's my fantastic story, which I used innovation to save the day. But it was, it was good. Even if we missed the boat, we would have figured out things to do. Um, you know, uh, Athens is a cool place. So you could probably figure out cool things to do, right? One other cool place that we went to was Corinth. And uh, remember in Corinthians when Paul's talking about uh, spiritual places, high places, fortified places. Um, this is being written to the Corinthians who had a fortified high fort. And we did take a picture of that on which there was a cult. A cult uh, to one of the Greek gods was up there, which had cult prostitution, where they shaved their heads and, and got involved in cult prostitution. But Paul would often do this. He would write allusions to things in the society to which he's writing, pulling on local traditions. It's like in South Dakota at college, I went and saw a comedian. And what's his some of his jokes about? Uh, coldness and mittens and stuff like that. And so he's appealing to his local audience in, in how he frames his dialogue. Uh, what is it? Uh, Newsboys, they'd always do that at a concert where they had their one one song with a million little pieces and then they'd switch out the location to whatever location they're in and it'd get a big cheer. Like if they're at Sunshine in Minnesota, they'd be like, they sing and then they'd add Minnesota and then the whole crowd would go wild. They're like, Minnesota! And they're waving their hands and that's what they would do. But this trip was very influential. I was able to uh, put together a lot of pieces of, in the Bible, a lot of them started making sense. I was able to fit it into its cultural context. And it was great that I was there with Bob Enyart, who would have additional Bible studies on top of, on top of uh, what the tour guide himself was saying. And we'd be able to talk about these things and, and have, have, have fruitful discussions into the night. One conversation I remember pretty clearly is there was this uh, Texan farmer, and he was on this trip with us. He's a good guy. I think his name was like Tom or something. And uh, he's like, you know, one day I was out there uh, in on my Texas farm or whatever on the porch. I'm just sitting there, and a UFO flies over, and I'm just watching it, and then it flies away. <laughs> and Bob Inyard, he's like, uh, later he's like, kind of dismissive he's just like yeah i don't know about that but uh i think i think he didn't give him enough benefit of the doubt i think yeah absolutely there are unidentified flying objects that are unidentified and uh real phenomena like like for example the video that the government released and that pilot's interaction with that strange tip tac shaped object so it's probably not something we should just dismiss it's just interesting that Bobby and you're just like, yeah, I don't know about that one too much. 
he was always always very skeptical of these types of claims. Other than that, I would just see Bobby in here and talk to him sporadically time to time. I guess my last phone call with him was right before Warren McGrew popped up on uh, Bobby in here live and had an interview about Warren McGrew and Calvinism and uh, original sin a little bit and, and open theism. Uh, right before that conversation, I got a call. It was like last month. And uh, he's like, oh, tell me about this Warren McGrew guy. And I, I told him all about everything I knew about a scruff McGruff about his uh, you know life leading from Calvinism and his views about open theism and the such and and Bob Ingram was very encouraging on that phone call he's like you know I hear you're doing a great job I don't always get time to listen to anything that you do but my son is very excited about that and tells me all about uh, some of the good things that you say so a very encouraging very fruitful phone call and uh, again full of life He's always full of life, and he was always a very genuine individual. <laughs> well, one of the stories he told me that when we were in, in uh, I don't know where in Greece, but uh, he was talking about how he had a conversation, he had a dinner with uh, other influential individuals at some point, uh, other like the Joel Olstein types. I don't think it was Joel Olstein, but he was there with certain Christian pastors who had some sort of mainstream notoriety. And he's just talking about how these people in person are not very pleasant individuals. They're not, they're not happy individuals. They don't, they don't intend to love life. And it's, it's like, they're, they're almost like they're, they're disingenuous frauds. And Bob Inyart was not that way. He wore his heart on his sleeve and uh, very intentional and uh, very straightforward individual. How he was like on air was how he was like in person. That's who he is. Very genuine individual, a real person. And uh, uh, Christianity is at a great loss for losing him as a pastor, both uh, socially, politically, and theologically. Um, this is a great loss to the country. He's standing up to government tyranny when almost no other churches are. Uh, what other pastors are out there other than the Stephen Andersons of the world and the John MacArthur? So John MacArthur's Calvinist, Stephen Anderson's more of a traditional Arminian, um, kind of. And then the Bobby Internet, the open theists. These are the people fighting against um, big government, overriding and destroying the lives of little people. And so a very, very sad loss to liberty, very sad loss to theology. And uh, we pray that uh, his family is healed. His family uh, is able to deal with this grief and get through the loss of this very loved individual. I do expect there's going to be a big outpouring of love and hate and hate. There are people who hate us and want us dead, and those people will be celebrating today. So things that Bob Enyard taught me, <laughs> first to understand uh, that the Bible does have idioms, to be able to identify idioms. One that comes off right away in my mind is the idiom in which the lowest parts of the earth are conflated and often swapped with the womb. Like Job talks about being formed in the lowest parts of the earth. And then uh, Jesus talks about going from the womb and coming to the womb. So it seems to be Jewish idiomatic speech that Bob Enyart was able to pick up on and talk to. Uh, the contrast between being loved and hated, how Rachel was loved and Leah was hated. The verse says Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And then the next verse says when God saw Leah was hated. You know, that type of language, it's just a comparative hatred. It's not, it's not that God hates baby 
Esau. God loves Jacob, but hates Esau. It's a comparative love in which the love for Jacob, the love for Rachel is so much more than Leah or Esau that uh, you use, use the language of hatred. And so he is able to pick up and notice these idiomatic speeches. Uh, I've also picked up from him debate tactics and strategy. Making light of your opponent's ridiculous arguments is a great strategy as, as we showed in the intro to this video. Also in his discussion debate with the California radio host, I did clip that out and I guess we could play it right now. Uh, question number three. In our dialogue yesterday that took place, you mentioned that eventually um, God will prevail over his enemies and defeat evil. So is God's victory over his enemies, is that settled or open? It's settled because he is good and he is powerful and he is wise. Okay, so there are aspects of the future then that are settled. Yeah, God has plans and God is capable. He's not, whenever we debate an open, uh, settled viewer... They pretend that we're saying that God is impotent, that he can do nothing. But God is the creator God. He has power and great wisdom and knowledge. And so, therefore, he can do things like he can get people to name a baby Cyrus, and he can get a rooster to crow. He can do something. <laughs> well, well, that, that, give, that, that, our debate, that gives me great lied. comfort, Bob, that God can do some things. Yeah, well. That's what we're up against. Dr. Lamerson denied that God could get a rooster to crow unless he foreknew that it would crow. Well, he planned that it would crow, and therefore he foreknew that it would crow. Well, or, or is God able to make a rooster crow? Can God do that? Is, is it something he could do? Absolutely. He did right. it. Fantastic. So a lot of his debate mannerisms and strategies are very useful in how he undermines his opponents and points out the ridiculousness of their positions. And so a very, <laughs> I, I think I've, I've adopted this as one of my strategies. One of his other strategies was in debating a different Calvinist, uh, repeating the same question over and over and forcing the issue and making it very obvious that the Calvinist is not answering the question. And so this is a very good strategy and it works very well and it makes the other person look foolish. So that last debate clip that we showed was from the Gene Cook debate. Uh, Bob Inyer also has the James White debate in which he points out the James White's James White's um, hereticism on the Trinity, his heretical views, which is actually a really funny interaction. And then uh, also he has the debate with Samuel Lamerson, which was a pretty decent debate as well. There's some things about the debate I didn't like. Um, some a couple of cheap th shots, but one thing that Bob Inyar impressed on me um, through that whole process was when he was talking to me personally. He said, "You know what I like to do is I like to use my second best argument first, and I want I like to use my best argument last because uh, that uh, gives them a hard hit up front and an even harder hit as the last move." And I think he uses this on the Zaketh debate as well, which is also worth a read, in which there's an atheist by the moniker of Zaketh who debated him on a different theology online thread about atheism. I think he did well there. That's one thing about Bob Enyart, his, his fight against atheism, his fight against uh, evolutionary theory. I showed my kids... Um, his, his tape, his Real Science Friday on seven-layer fish, in which you have jellyfish that are 
over seven different strata, hundreds of jellyfish that are fossilized. And so you know the strata was laid down all at the same time because what's the likelihood of a jellyfish, which is a rare fossil to begin with, having hundreds of these fossils in the same area, uh, thousands or millions of years apart, unlikely. These jellyfish in seven different strata were all laid down at the same time. Bob Enyart, his work on polystrate fossils, his work on dinosaur DNA, in which he popularized arguments. One thing he did was uh, exposing that these, these quote-unquote scientists are frauds, they're shills. He called them up and said, hey, if you want to carbon test this uh, dinosaur or soft tissue, I will give you money. I'll give you $20,000. And on, on tape, Jack Horner, quote-unquote scientist, is like, no, we don't want to do that because that might give ammunition to the creationists. Yeah, because you're a shill. You're not a scientist. You don't care about evidence. You don't care about funding if it's going to lead to the wrong conclusions. But guess what? They did carbon date dinosaur bones and found carbon in those dinosaur bones. And carbon is not going to be detected at 100,000 years. So you know those dinosaur bones? It's not contamination because it's not unequally distributed. You know those dinosaur bones are going to be less than 100,000 years old. And so his work on dinosaur tissue, his uh, in interesting interactions on carbon-14 found in diamonds, this type of stuff that Enyart was championing and uh, bringing face-to-face -face with atheists, the atheists couldn't, can't explain it away. They can't, couldn't deal with Bob Enyart's arguments on, on, on these topics. And so uh, popularizing that type of information to his audience, very important work. The rate project in which they drilled into diamonds and found carbon-14 in these supposed million-year-old diamonds. And you could probably do that. Any, any diamond you want, drill in, you're going to find that carbon-14, showing that all these diamonds have a young age, less than 100,000 years. So he's a very intelligent, intuitive individual. Uh, he had a library of wealth of information in his head and was able to recall things uh, almost instantly. So talking to him about the Bible, he's very, he had an indexed memory of, of different scripture. He's very well versed in it. But I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of things and uh, I need to add some more things. Maybe we'll have a communal get together where other people can share stories about the life and times of Bob Enyart. But a fascinating ind individual, very fun to interact with and hang out with and, and uh, tell stories to and get stories from and, and, uh, uh, so just pray for him, pray for his family, pray for healing. Uh, we'll, we need to celebrate life, though. Life, life is short. Life doesn't last as long as we'd like it to. We just have to live and uh, make the most of our days. I think he did.